Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Official podcast. My team will get to the root of anything. Shrine of Duty. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It sounds like a horror movie. What was <laughs> happening at that base? Um, so that was it started with Jill sending the urgent exit required message. So that was the first big scream. Yeah. yeah. And then it moved into the bathroom scene. Oh, oh you caught it. Yes. Okay. That's Very just a montage of us watching the final episode. That sounds like we faked it, but I swear oh, no. to God, I don't even think you knew that was recording, Rebecca. I say I got a complaint from the neighbours. <laughs> no. There was a few Jill and Tonics had. <laughs> a few is right. Hello and welcome to Shrine of Duty, the finale the finale um, <laughs> an extra long feature length episode are you okay Red? we're very giddy <laughs> an extra long feature length episode means there's even more for us to be confused about and talk about it was a glass box spectacular before we get to Kate telling fake Kate to stop making a tit of herself <laughs> and piss off and piss off a couple of things to mention first of all <laughs> shout out to Hannah's sister Sarah who had us veering towards cupcakes for the finale <laughs> yeah. Uh, she amazing. made us vegan cupcakes uh, with special icing with the faces of all of our favourite characters on I think I had Jill Bigelow you had Jill Bigelow well three guests is who I had Stephen Graham I ate a couple of them after you left <laughs> <laughs> I ate the remainder of the cast <laughs> um, Brendan you, you were like I better keep um, Lindsay Jensen from my house I ate Lindsay did you put Jensen. Jackie Doherty in the freezer Jackie's in the freezer <laughs> um, and I ate Ted as well sorry Ted um, also a shout out to Neve Hassel the hardest working radio producer in Dublin she yes, managed girl. yes she managed to find the time to check the length of the beeps um, amazing Amazing so, work. Neve, fair play to her, has figured out that there weren't always beeps. So in season one of the first interrogation scene, they just hit record and there was no beep. Oh my God. It's, it's been kind of inconsistent throughout the, the series. Um, Neve said that the first beep was for Lindsay Denton in season two, episode two. Oh my God. It was 11 seconds long. Amazing. The beep for Ted in season five, episode five <laughs> was, drum roll please. 
a whopping 21 seconds long. <laughs> oh my God. It's so long. Wow. Which was basically twice the length of time. It doubled in time. Um, also, one last thing to mention. Uh, you know the way that everyone thinks everyone in Ireland knows everyone? Yeah. Yes. Right? So my mother texts me And last they think we week. all have red hair. And we yeah. don't. Hannah, no, we you don't. have a I dye mean, job. <laughs> yeah. I have a tinge of ginger going on. Yeah, okay, fine, we do. We do. Uh, so my mother texted me last week, what, exactly this time last week while we were in here, but I didn't bring my phone in with me because, you know, professional. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm on Instagram during yeah. the episode. Joking. <laughs> so the message said, do you remember my first red car? Bought it from Madeline. I love Madeline, Madeline? Madeline. 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 Anyway, Madeline, my mother says, a lovely woman. <laughs> we, we really took to each other. <laughs> well, her brother was on the late late with you and your selfie. What a small world. He was in the background of the photo. No. Her brother was Adrian Dunbar. <laughs> my mother bought her first car of Adrian Dunbar's sister. I love Ireland. I did not understand that when you that's, first tweeted yeah. it. That's what the message meant. That my mother mom. bought her first ever car second hand <laughs> of Adrian Dunbar's sister. I mean, would you ever wish to be from anywhere else? I would. Incredible. Ireland is gas. So everyone in Ireland does know everyone. Yeah, we do. Uh, look, 90 minute finale... A long episode, a lot to get through. We've split the duty. We're going to get straight in. 30 minutes each. First up, it's Rebecca. No pressure, gal. Oh, God, right. The line of duty finale, finale opens with the iconic Patricia Carmichael in AC12 HQ addressing the team. She tells everyone it's their lawful duty to cooperate with the investigation into Superintendent Hastings and that everyone obstruct, anyone obstructing her officers, officers can and will face arrest. But let's not fall out over this. I'm sure we can all work nicely together, she says with her signature smug smile. Carmichael then grabs Kate and Steve for a private chat. And she says that her team need to know everything they know about Ted. Steve says he's not comfortable with kicking the gaffer while he's down. Carmichael replies that Ted is stuck by Steve more than anyone should have. As he went around shagging witnesses and suspects and the likes. I loved that. I love that she was like shagging witnesses. And suspects. <laughs> Steve really did have a very juicy season two, didn't he? he also, really shagging did. is just not a very Patricia Carmichael word, is it? No. Oh, I just wasn't expecting her to come out with that. With a shag, yeah. Yeah. Carmichael then tells Stephen Case that officers found 50k in Ted's hotel room and she says she wouldn't be standing by him or else people will start to suspect them. She then mentions H, pins Ted's picture on the board, stating AC12 failed to bring him down, I won't. That was dramatic where she pinned it over Hilton's photo underneath the big letter the big H, H, wasn't yeah. it? Very telling. Carmichael leaves the room, right? Two seconds later, there's a knock on the door. Tatlene walks in. She explains that they've been looking into John Corbett's past, right? She's about to spill the tea when fake Kate, a.k.a. Michelle Dardis, barges in and she says they need to know everything, right? <laughs> Kate shuts her down. Michelle, is it? We're AC12. We do this with other units week in, week out. So don't try telling me how this works. She then delivers the line of the season. In fact, it could be the juiciest line of juicy in the history of the show. We're witnesses, not suspects. Now stop making a titty yourself and piss off. Piss off. <laughs> Can we just get a round of applause? Yeah, seriously. Like, that was... Honestly, I near... Like, like, I spat out my gin and tonic when I heard that line. It beats... Does it beat... 
I didn't float up the lagging in a bubble. It's just because it's, it's, it's Kate to fake Kate and she tells us piss off. <laughs> you know, Martin Compton said that um, they read that line, like um, Vicky McClure read that line so many times because she just loved saying it. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Like how many moments in your life do you want to say that to someone? Me and work earlier after the long weekend, someone go to me, piss off. Imagine telling <laughs> someone in work to piss off. Oh. Stop making a dilly yourself. And piss off. So fake Kate then buggers off and Tatlin explains that John's past goes back to Superintendent Hastings' service with the Royal Ulster, Ulster Constabulary. Um, when he was a PC in the 1980s, he was interviewed in connection with the disappearance of Anne-Marie McGillis, who is Corbett's mum. Kate tells Tatlin to share the file with Carmichael's team. Steve's not happy. He says that they may have just helped Carmichael hammer nails in the gaffer's coffin. Kate says she's just calling it how it is. And as she sees it, because the truth comes first. Steve then questions her. He goes, what if the gaffer's innocent? We'll have betrayed him. So things get very tense with the two what of them What do there. you think about Kate's decision to let Tatlin share that information with AC3? Do you think she's just doing her job? Or was it a bit of a weird one? I kind of read that a bit weird, to be honest. I think it's just a case of, she's like, well, we just may as well be honest about this. Cause we, because we probably want to see that Ted was doing right. And let's just... I think Kate's very suspicious of him the whole season, though, really, hasn't she? Definitely an ambiguous decision. I think you could argue both ways, couldn't you? I still potentially think that maybe Kate's playing the long game and that we're going to see in season six that she's actually bent herself. Oh, imagine the screams out of us. Oh, my God. Uh, Next, we see our Ted being walked out of a cell, the poor chicken. Right? That's just a short clip. Fixing the hair. Oh, yes, hair's fantastic. Looks lovely in a tracky top, doesn't he? Someone sent us in a picture last week and it was Pan Ted Pro V. (laughs) 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 And they made a shampoo (laughs) ad. I thought that was great. Elsewhere, bomb chicka wow wow. Jill Bigelow. Jill Rohan and Andrea Wise are discussing Operation Pear Tree, right? She had the purple top again. Yeah, I think they might have shot all those scenes together because Rohan has that navy suit on in every scene we see him. Because Jill could wear anything. So I'm like, would you not mix up the wardrobe? Would you not have had her like the Scarlet Woman in a bright red? Wear the face off, Ted. Mm. Yeah, she looked great in a royal blue as well. Good show. Anyway, another story for another podcast. Jill says that fortunately, Corbett's murder and Hastings' arrest will all be covered by their application for public interest immunity. Nothing need ever come out. To which Rohan replies... <laughs> Where's she from? I don't know. Unless Carmichael finds a link between Hastings and organised crime, we'll have to go public with that. Jill says they need to emphasise the wording, which I love. That's a real, like, you know, our... Ex- That's a non-exclusive it? relationship. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it was so yeah. like that. She then grabs her, grabs her glam handbag, which I've called a glam bag, heads to the door <laughs> and parts by telling them she's off to make sure the inquiry into Hastings is above reproach. Love like, that. Icon. So dodgy. Elsewhere, Kate and Steve knock on John Corbett's wife's door and they explain that they're looking into John's undercover operation. Um, they tell her they're sorry for her loss. But Kate says her reaction to John's death has made him question some of the things that Steph previously told him. And then Steph reveals that it was all an act before. She's then asked about John's links to Northern Ireland and his mum's death. Steph says the story was Anne-Marie was helping the police and then the police betrayed her. She was an informant and that was why she got killed. Steph says John's aunt mentioned there was a young officer that was Anne-Marie's age who took a shining to her and she trusted him. Mm-hmm. But he didn't look out for her or worse. Steph says there was a scandal surrounding the officer and Anne-Marie as he was married and that maybe it suited him for Anne-Marie to go missing. Steph says she never knew the name of the officer and John never told her what his jobs were about. So it's getting a bit juicy. Mm. God love her. I felt so bad for her in that house on her own. 
Right. On their way out of the house, Kate is very suspicious. She asks how an undercover officer recruited to investigate links between the OCG, corrupt officers, all the way up to H, just happens to be the son of someone murdered on the gaffer's patch. Steve says, now they know why Corbett was so convinced the Hastings was bent. And what they don't know is if someone else knew about Corbett's past link to the gaffer or if someone or if somehow Corbett managed to put himself forward for the job. Any chance of it being a coincidence, Steve asks. Kate replies, coincidence, my arse. She had a few cracking lines this episode, didn't she? she was on fire this week. The next scene shows Ted walking into a seemingly empty AC-12 and is greeted by fake Kate, who explains Carmichael is concerned about security. He mentions, or she mentions, that AC-12 previously had a corrupt DI who shot himself out of the interview room. (laughs) Urgent exit required. How could we forget? How could we forget? It's my favourite episode. Dra- yeah, oh, same, I think, drama. yeah. Kate, sorry, Kate hanging out the side of that van with her <laughs> hair billowing as she flew after him. Oh, if we had a podcast back then, I would have keeled over watching that. Ted says that Kyle knows the building inside out, but Carmichael says she'll stick with her own. Now, tell asterisk. me, go on, asterisk. As- asterisk that. Okay, asterisk. Okay. We there he- then hear the first beep of the episode. Carmichael kicks off her questioning only to be interrupted by Bam Chicka Wow Wow and the Strauss. Oh, Jill Bigelow sporting possibly the best blow dry of the season. Oh, absolutely. She had it done properly for like the last Oh, episode. they the rollers in for that one. In for the last bounce. box spectacular. She yeah. was like Beyonce. She was. She walks in with AFO Kyle. Asterix. Jill introduces herself to Carmichael who questions why she wasn't informed that Jill was coming to which Jill bats her eyelashes and says, you just were... Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, obsessed. Um, so we're all, we all, we're all getting, yeah, yeah, right. Jill swans into the interview room as the second beep plays and Carmichael resumes the interview. Ted and Carmichael now are like two alley cats. Like it is. Circling each other. Oh, there, and someone's about to pounce, right? Carmichael asks Ted when he found out that John tortured his wife. Ted says during the operation to apprehend him on March 10th. Carmichael says it was unlawful for Ted to issue a Fahrenheit order to Arnott. But Ted says John had drawn his firearm and he was worried that he was going to shoot Steve, basically. Carmichael asks whether any other motivations were at work. Tortured wife, you know, John was involved in the death of Manit. Ted says that he wasn't vengeful and that his concern was the preservation of life. Carmichael then asks about the remarks he made to Sam Railston after his wife's assault when he stated, whoever is responsible better stop praying, start praying that he's up in front of a judge before I get my hands on him. Ted says it was rhetorical and that if he got his hands on Corbett, he would have just arrested him. Carmichael then probes whether Ted then disclosed to Lee Banks in Blackthorn Prison that John Corbett was a police officer, knowing that he would tell the OCG. Ted replies, a very firm no. Like, very firm. So that was when I started to go to And I believed him. I did believe him as well. Yeah. So Carmichael moves on then. She starts asking about Ted, uh, his wife's injuries, because he denied knowledge of the significance of the pattern of those injuries when DC Railston interviewed him. This is Carmichael to bring Ted out of... Sorry, this brings Carmichael to take the service record out of his time in the Royal Ulster Constabulary. Carmichael questions why Ted didn't say that he recognised the pattern of injuries because it was on the wrists and the ankles. Ted eventually, after a few minutes, admits that the injuries were similar to those inflicted by paramilitary or terrorist organisations. Fake Kate chimes in then, pulls out another document about Ted's time in Northern Ireland, which says that Ted had a rapport with the Catholic community. 
Carmichael asks Ted why he left the RUC and she reads out that a patrol vehicle drove over a pipe bomb causing the death of PC Patrick O'Malley and the injury of Edward Hastings. So we heard about that in season one, episode one, the very first um, AC12 interview with Tony Gates and Steve. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ted basically explained to Steve at the end of that interview why he does what he does and why he wants to make sure that the police are, uh, you know, aren't corrupt. Steve is implying that Ted is racist. Yeah. And Ted is like, I'm blacker than black or I'm just as yeah. black or something mad and yeah. then goes and tells him the that about Catholic the... boys in the pipe Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, that goes all the way back. So, Carmichael questions whether Ted was targeted for another reason other than the fact that they were both Catholic. Now, cue the tense music. Carmichael says she'd like to examine a particular assignment regarding Anne-Marie McGillis. Ted looks a bit shook and sad. He takes a sip of water. Now, I thought he was going to do a V-Han but he didn't. Now, Adrian Dunbar during these interview scenes, like, I don't know, maybe he was extra tired. That Can his an eyes, actor make her eye twitch? I don't know. Or go red. Like, his eyes looked like he had been staring at a screen for 75 days. He'd been on a sesh with Kate and Steve for like, you know, the, a long weekend or something. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. He, it was phenomenal acting. It would break your heart, wouldn't it? Yeah. Every him. cell in his body was acting in that. Yeah in this scene in this interrogation so Tina in AC3 says that Amory went missing on the 19th of April 1989 the night before she left her son with a neighbour and she said she was visiting a friend in hospital Anne-Marie never returned to collect her son the next day and a missing persons team later revealed the person in hospital didn't exist and that Ted was one of the people that was interviewed about her disappearance Ted explains that Amory's husband uh, had been murdered before that he had been involved in the troubles and that she blamed someone higher up in the command Ted says the grief made her turn to passing on information to the police about terrorist activities so she basically became a police informant Ted says he helped Amory trust the police because they were both Catholic and that they did meet in her home but only because Ted would give her a hand as there was no man about the house Carmichael questions the nature of their relationship Ted says that he was a married man and that it was all gossip. We then find out that Ted met Anne-Marie the night before she disappeared and he was also the last person to admit to police to seeing Anne-Marie alive. Carmichael questions whether Ted exploited Anne-Marie's trust to lure her to her death. She then shows a picture of a paramilitary group wearing balaclavas and asks if there's a connection between his time in Northern Ireland and the OCG. That was all so well explained because it is so complicated, isn't it? And they they kind of go through it so quickly that you're like, hold on, this is the big reveal about John Corbett's mum, and I'm like, I can't keep up. And she just so I needed that excellently. So it's revealed that Amory was tortured before her death in the same pattern inflicted on Ted's wife. Carmichael then asks if he ever met Amory's son. Ted says no, he was always with family or friends. Carmichael then explains that her son was orphaned at the age of 10 and was taken in by Anne-Marie's sister in Liverpool and that he was then adopted and took the surname Corbett. Now Ted looks like he is about to break when Carmichael reveals that John Corbett was Anne-Marie's son. Like Ted's reaction, shock, disbelief and he goes... Corbett was Anne-Marie's wee fella and you can't even hear wee fella because his voice is cracking Ted asks that as he bows his head and weeps he then leaves the room in tears visibly shaken and he heads to the toilet and cries into the sink an acting masterclass from Adrian Dunbar give him all the baftas yeah I thought he was I thought he was actually going to throw up was he like, looked like he was going to vomit. Watching all the expressions on his face when he finds out and it's the shock and the realisation, heartbreak, regret, everything in one. And I'm like, I can't believe you're acting like oh, that yeah. this didn't actually happen to you. Yeah. Like, 
You could just tell as well that he genuinely, I felt that he loved Anne-Marie so much. Yeah, I think so too. You know, and even if it wasn't, if I don't know if he had an affair or anything like that, but like you can feel that he genuinely cared for her. He did, didn't he? Yeah, maybe. What do you think? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I feel Ted's very to the letter of the marriage and to the letter of the But I think he had one of those, like, I don't know, can you say... Honourable affairs where he actually was Honourable? Listen, where he actually was in love about women. Like it wasn't just this thing. I think he actually may have loved Amory or had these like protected feelings for her. Maybe not an honourable affair, but you know what I mean. Mm. Oh, stop it, Brendan. <laughs> right, well, I do my best. Anyway, so. Reb, well done in the first 30 minutes. That was a lot of dialogue. <laughs> yeah, I was like, guys, I was sitting in my house yesterday going, Jesus, like this. That was 30 minutes room. exactly, wasn't it? But guys, is there any other TV show that could hold your attention with one, basically, it was with two one people glass in box a room. spectacular. One yeah. set piece. No, but yeah. that was, I mean, the, di- the writing, incredible. How does one person write that by themselves? It's beyond me. My love. Why do you smile about Brendan? I'm smiling because I am anticipating the second 30 minutes of the episode. Hannah. <laughs> it's long. I apologise. Kate and Steve visit Moffat in his office to question him about his commercial relationship with Hastings. Moffat tells him that Hastings was an investor in a development that went south six years back. He offered Ted a buy-in to recoup his losses, but unfortunately he couldn't come up with the funds. Kate then tells Moffat that they were told by Ted that he offered him 50k. Moffat seems surprised by this figure and that leads Kate to figure out that Ted may not have been telling the truth about the money and her and Steve quickly leave his office. Just before the interview ends though, Kate and Steve ask Moffat if the name John Corbett means anything to him to which he replies no. Back in the interview room, Ted's back from the loo, he's looking a little more composed. Carmichael is straight back into the proceedings. She pulls up an image of the envelope given to Ted by Moffat and the 50k worth of bank notes. Ted's solicitor, Joel Rosport, explains the notes are an, uh, kind of explains them away as an unsolicited advance on future profits given to his client by Moffat. And Hastings is looking a little bit uncomfortable here now, but it's about to get worse. Fake Kate reveals that forensics on the notes showed up a chemical structure that also appeared on the 25k found under the, under the floorboards at Behan Malhutra's house and the 5k found in Jane Cafferty's bedroom. So she reveals that the pollen structures tested resulted in a 99.5% probability that the three sets of notes came from the same place. To which Ted Hastings roars, I have not been bribed. Guys, you with me? With you. With you. That pesky pollen, I'm telling you, be fuming. The pollen. The hay fever are now catching you in a crime. <laughs> Carmichael ignores this and claims the notes are proof of a connection between Hastings and the OCG. She implies the money may have been to pay off Ted for tipping off Lee Banks and in turn the OCG about John Corbett being a rat. Hastings said you have fabricated a motive where none existed. We move on to a new document. Ooh. And we were right. A video clip from Doc Cotton's dying declaration is pulled up on the screen and he's back in some form. I'll take it. Yeah, he made it into the finale. We called it, guys. It was one of the 55 things we <laughs> called. <laughs> we got it right. Kate presses a dying dot who begins to reveal who the top dog is. She says, you told someone, someone very senior, someone promoted you. Who? This is where the whole H thing came from. So she starts going through the alphabet in an attempt to get Dot to spell the person's name by blinking. He stops on H, but Kate is removed by paramedics before she can get to the second letter. The document continues. AC12's investigation concluded that H was Hilton, 
But the hypothesis must be examined that H is someone other than Hilton. So this is where Carmichael is coming from. Mm -hmm. She asks Ted, has any other senior officer been accused of being H? Hastings dodges the question with a really long-winded answer (laughs) until eventually confirming that, yes, he was also um, accused. Carmichael then brings up the Reg 15 notice that Ted was served. Ros Porch reminds her one of the very few things that he actually managed to do in that interview. Reminds her... Is that... Who is that's that? him Joel Rossport that's the Ted solicitor useless guys that man didn't have one line the whole season he didn't speak no but I recognised him though but he doesn't do a thing he's useless <laughs> did I recognise him from Line of Duty or something else no I think I recognised him from Line of Duty yeah hmm um, Rosport reminds Carmichael that the reg 15 was disproved and she snaps back there was insufficient evidence to prove it which is apparently different from a disproving something Jill has finally had enough of the Carmichael show at this point and interrupts and we get an iconic face-off between the two queens. We were screaming at this point oh, now because like. it was just like, here we go. Like, who is going to be sassier than who? So, Jill begins by questioning the search on Ted's hotel room during which AC3 discovered the banknotes. She points out that the wrong legal power was stated by an officer in charge on the day and the correct search form was only supplied after the event. Fake Kate was at Ted's hotel room during the search and she takes the brunt of Jill's sass. Jill wraps up her powerfully delivered revelation by reminding Carmichael that as Ted wasn't present in his room at the time of the search, Section 32 was the incorrect legal power to authorise it. And as such, the money uncovered and the only solid evidence that AC3 have against our Ted is inadmissible in court. And Carmichael could have vomited, couldn't she? Oh, her I loved, face. I love that to, to, to obviously to read through those documents, uh, I think Tina had the folder and like without saying anything, Jill just tapped on the <laughs> desk. Tap? I love she her just tap. like tapped goes- on the desk hand them over yeah, 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 yeah. and she just sifted through for a few minutes until she like came out with all that we were tweeting in capital letters at this age pouring gin and tonics to everyone oh, in yeah, the we house we were two. like yes girl but <laughs> we spoke too soon <laughs> So we got a mic drop from Jill, a psychotic smile from Carmichael to fake Kate, a look of relief from Ted, absolutely nothing from Ted's solicitor, who Jill later points out was completely (laughs) useless. And Ted is sent back to temporary hold to be charged or released within six hours. Just before he leaves the interview room, he thanks Jill. She replies, the idea that you are corrupt is ridiculous. Clearly Moffat is lying about the money. You don't have a bent bone in your body. This will all go away trust me then she struts out of the room and her warm smile drops into the coldest glare and that's the end of that so are we all caught up yeah yeah. all caught up okay you're with me Kate and Steve visit Alison Powell in her mysterious office building who now when we saw her again I I was less into she she lost the mystique and the glamour for me well I mean after Carmichael and Jill face off do you know what I mean yeah yeah it's always going to be a bit of a Anticlimax. They're asking for background on how John Corbett was rec- recruited as a UCO for Operation Pear Tree. Now, Powell turns on a recording device. She confirms that John was one of a number of candidates considered and he presented with a distinguished record of success, blah, blah, blah. Kay asks if he volunteered for the role and Steve asks who selected him. Powell doesn't look too impressed with the line of questioning. However, next thing we know, she's turned off the device and tells Kate and Steve, this is off the record. Now, we don't get to hear what Powell reveals. And the next thing, the two of them burst out of the office. There's exciting new music that we haven't heard before. And Kate asks Steve, how long have we got? He says, just a few hours. And she replies, we're going to have to blue light it and the lift closes. Oh, the drama. (laughs) Coolest thing ever. It was amazing. So I thought at that point, I started to doubt our Ted. 
Did you? Yeah. No, I thought they were going to save him. I I thought they were going to save him as well. I got nervous and that got confirmed for me in the next scene because meanwhile back at AC12, fake Kate's on the phone again. She tells Carmichael, we just got an email. I'm calling for authentication. Ted looks set to leave the AC12 offices to head back to the cells, but Carmichael stops him in his tracks. She reveals that new evidence has come to light. It will be submitted to Ted and his solicitor and they have four hours to review it. Now, I thought this evidence was handed over by Kate and Steve. Oh, I get, get me? you. Yes. Ah, yes. Yeah, so I, know, I yeah. started to panic. Yeah. So yeah. I was like, he's got no one on his side. So I was panicking. So Ted demands, what new evidence? Ignoring him, Carmichael rep- replies, pending a further, further investigation, I will be seeking a further 12 hours onto your custody time. And Ted is led away to the cells. Mm. Now, in private. Is that the point where she goes, take him to the cells? Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. It's <laughs> a bit melodramatic now. In private, Carmichael gives fake Kate a dressing down over the incorrect search for him. She says, you nearly cost me this case. I will be expecting a transfer request first thing in the morning. Bit Danny Waldron, isn't it? Very Danny oh, Wall. What? Now, Kate and Steve arrive outside Mrs. Corbett's house again and they ask for urgent help. Four hours later, Ted is transported back to AC12 in a prison van. Kyle watches suspiciously from the balcony as he enters the building. A few shots of Kyle now on his own this series. Lurking. Lurking. I mean, asterix. Back in the interview room, Jill sits with Ted's solicitor. Carmichael begins questioning him again. She asks, when was the last time you were in physical contact with John Corbett? Ted said he only saw John once. It was 100 yards away and it was across the street. However, Carmichael plays her hand and reveals that Ted's hairs have been found on John's body. Even though Ted denies having never come into contact with John, Carmichael confirms the evidence against him is sufficient for a murder charge. Oh, God. And moves on to establish a motive. Okay. Whew. <sighs> That was fair. Like I mean, I know there's a lot in this happening. I was like, oh god, he's. I was like, he's screwed. She begins by asking Ted why he shot Robert Denmore. Now, Robert Denmore is the guy that Ted kills at the AC12 offices. I keep getting confused. So, well, I think this happened during Jamie. Dot's escape. It no, didn't. no, no. It's Jamie's. Exactly. I always Last think season. it's season three. Oh. It's not. It's season four, episode six, and he takes one of the desk sergeants hostage and shoots another. Yeah. And Ted takes the gun from the dead person and shoots him. Yeah. Jamie Why did Ted keep off calling Hilton? Jamie? Remember, he's like, my name's Jamie. James. He's oh, like, do we called him like Jack or something? And yeah. he's like, frankly, son, I don't care what your name is. Yeah, because <laughs> shit, he says. Um, yeah, sorry, because Jamie was in with Hilton. He's the one who tipped Hilton off last time to say that they were they found out that he was basically like corrupt. Yes. Mm. So Ted reminds Carmichael that the killing was ruled as lawful by the coroner instead of, um, and said it was a lawful killing. However, she argues that Denmore was one of the only people who could have confirmed Hilton's identity, implying it was very convenient that Ted shot him dead. Next, Carmichael asked Ted about the meeting at the Palisade shopping centre. She wonders why H never showed. She, she suggests that because Steve told Hastings about the meet he was alerted he knew that the armed police were going to show up he was hate and he wasn't coming now Tina the little bitch pulls up the call history of an unregistered mobile phone she confirms the phone was in comms with other burners and Ted denies any knowledge of the device Carmichael asked Ted if he's ever disposed of a comms device oh. <laughs> we knew what was coming and Tina pulls up snippets of the OCG's MSN conversations she reveals AC3 harvested data from both Ted's personal and work phones both phones were in Edge Park Hotel on the 5th of March and both phones were switched off until the next morning now Ted says he doesn't know what this date was that it doesn't have any relevance to him but Carmichael reminds him that is the day that the Edge Park depot yep 
was robbed and 50 million worth of goods were stolen. Um, she says it was very suspicious that Ted was essentially uncontactable during the op. But Ted said he was on standby. But you remember, he was on the walkie-talkie. But do you remember there was a slight delay? Yes. yes. Now, that is weird. There was a slight yeah. delay. And, and I don't... There. Like, he correct me in. if I'm wrong, but I don't think it was explained nope. why these phones were turned off. No. No. And why he wasn't there. So that's an issue for me. So that's did were those phones so before that ambush was the last thing we saw in the episode previous Ted and Jill going into his hotel room so did they have their phones turned off at the end of one episode and we oh. rolled into the next one I never thought of and that, that was the I ambush never thought of I cannot remember Brandon I don't I might know. have that arse no face. no the, the ambush he was on the walkie talkie he'd been with Jill the week before that I think or maybe after I can't remember mm. but he yeah no the the ambush he was on the walkie talkie talking to Kate because yeah. he he told Kate to give Steve the order to go to find the guy who said there was oil on the ground. Now listen to this, right? So next up on the screen, they show CCTV. Now I think they're implying that it's from the same night. And we see photos of Ted dropping off his bubble wrap laptop to the disposable shop. Mm-hmm. Now, are they implying that he turned off his personal and work phone so he wouldn't be tracked going to that shop? That's what I took from it. Okay. That the phones were off, the two phones were off when he went to dispose of the laptop so they couldn't trace where he was going because he had something to hide on the laptop. Yeah, okay. he was doing a bit of a Ross Huntley. Yes, actually. That's exactly okay. what Ross did. Okay, that is what Ross did when she was hiding the yeah. trackie. Now, I'd love to know if anyone else saw this, but did I detect the beginning of a smile on Ted's face during questioning about the laptop? So I was writing for Ted's big moment, the reveal. Yeah. Find the laptop, there's something on it that will save him. I'd love to know if anyone else felt the same. I thought the 50 grand was in the laptop or something and then he'd left it somewhere to get fit. I actually didn't know. I was like, there's yeah. something. I don't know how 50 grand could be in a, in a laptop, but... I, I thought it was some connection to... Res- re- yeah, um, he was going to be McQueen. like, well, actually, I've been in on it the whole exactly. time and I figured out that Jill or whoever is blah, blah, blah. You exactly. know what I mean? Yeah, but it didn't happen. So Carmichael leaves that line of question in there moves on to Ted's decision to go to the OCG nightclub alone. She said, who better to impersonate H than H himself? She then pulls up Ted's messages to Corbett, sent when he was impersonating H. She notes the misspelling of definitely and wonders if Ted studied the OCG messages closely enough to pick up on the misspelling or if he inadvertently misspells the word. Carmichael implies that when Ted wrote, I need you to bring all this to a close, he was ordering Lisa to execute John. Returning to the laptop, she demands, why did you dispose of the computer? And embarrassed Ted caves and says, I was looking at pornography, nothing illegal, nothing extreme. I just did not want it to be found, that's all. Did you believe him, A, that he knew to misspell definitely? No, because he goes, oh, he goes, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I didn't believe that. He was a bit shocked. He kind of looked a bit like, oh, God, yeah, yeah, I studied that. And also, B, do you believe him in his position that if it was just standard porn that he said he was watching... Surely it looks more suspicious to get rid of the laptop yeah, like than to just go, your yeah, search I'm history. At this bit, of, bit of a cheeky video. Like. Yeah. There is no way on the earth that that is why that laptop is gone. No, there's, there's not. No like, clear your search way. history. Don't put your laptop in bubble wrap and then dispose of it. it's gone because it's something more sinister or it's no. gone because it's something more Proof. clever? Yeah. I think it's more clever because if I'm right, when she started questioning about the laptop, I think he started to smile. Just tiny. And I just think I caught it. So I was thinking that's going to be where he's got his, you know, that's his scapegoat. Okay. That's what I think. Yeah. Um, I'm just at the end. So reaching the end of her attack, Carmichael returns to the night when Ted went undercover. She points out that it was a coincidence that he was tracked to that second warehouse and asked, 
Could it be you didn't want to be found? Hastings has completely fallen apart at this stage. Desperate, he says, he risked his life and his career to catch catch the OCG the two things he cares about the most he was that determined for AC12 not to fail Carmichael wraps up a near hour of an onslaught against Hastings she says that Ted has slashed John Quarry's throat and dumped him in the yard she refers to him as H and confirms that she will be requesting permission to charge him with the murder of John Quarry's conspiracy to commit armed robbery and malfeasance in a public office it is finally over and a terrified and devastated Ted is left crying in the interview room it's still bothered me that Carmichael was just dead set out to prove that he was H and not investigate the possibility that he was H. What are her motives? Like, why is she so hell-bent on proving that he's H? Is she H or is someone she knows H? Because she, I mean, as we find out, is very close to someone who is very bent. If she is so good at her job and she's the top woman in AC3, should she not have a little bit more appreciation for the fact that you need to investigate all sides and you can never go into an operation yeah. biased? Yeah. And I think you brought that up last week and that's my biggest yeah. issue with her. I'm like, well, that's not good police work. No, it's just literally being like, how yeah. do I prove that you're H rather than are you? What, you know, who else could it be? You yeah, so I mean? what's her agenda? Anyway, Brandon, over to you for the final 30 minutes. The final 30 minutes. Okay, so um, Kate and Steve walk in through the front doors of AC12 and they ask where all the AFOs are gone. Kyle is keeping watch over the balcony, says it's been scaled back due to other operational commitments. Tina is also watching over the balcony. Looks very shady. I only saw that the second time watching. Yeah, looks very, very shady. They gave Tina an appalling hairstyle, didn't they? They for did, this? didn't they? What if that's her hairstyle and it wasn't the Can show? I speak to a manager hairstyle? I apologise. <laughs> Back in the glass box spectacular, Jill tells Ted that he has to hand it to Carmichael. She says it looks like there's a lot of evidence against him. <laughs> oh, you've changed your tune. How helpful if someone said that to you? <laughs> Jill says there's 50k unaccounted for and wonders where the other half of Moffat's 100k payment is. I'm on your side, Ted. But if I was on a jury. <laughs> she says she'll put political pressure on to blow our own trumpets publicly about seizing back all of the seized goods <laughs> that were robbed back off you. <laughs> She's mad. She's and unreal. Also, she'd like to blow her own trumpet about killing 90% of the OCG, including a UCO. <laughs> I think I missed that bit. She did. She's she absolutely mad. Yeah, she's like, oh, you know, we'll wrap all this up now. We'll tell them that we've killed all of the OCG. <laughs> tell them, yeah. Britain. Yeah. <laughs> However, Jill says Ted will have to accept a misconduct charge and resign. Oh, she was pushing Back for with that. With the resignation. Um, at your AC, age. AC, <laughs> at your age. Surely it's a retirement at his age. Um, AC12 will be disbanded, she says. Kate and Steve march in. Carmichael's in the middle of the office floor on the mobile. They both breeze past her and just go, Mom. Mom. Ted says to Kate and Steve, well, the last thing I need right now is another bloody knife in me back. Is this when they both sit down in perfect... I, in unison. They're perfect. like synchronised swimmers. With the coast back. Rebecca, can we sit down like that tomorrow? We will when we get to other, Will we? Yeah. Okay. Good morning. Good morning, Mom. Mom. So Ted says he doesn't want another knife in his back. Kate says that was never our intention, sir. Mm. Steve says they've been looking into gaps in the case. Kate and Steve revealed that Jill, as Rohan's chief legal advisor, selected John Corbett as UCO for the OCG for Pear Tree. The acronyms are back in full 
force. Jill had access to John Corbett's original records before they were redacted. So she's seen that he was from Belfast, his family background, the ties, the links, the lot. Jill says that Corbett was by far the best man for the job. That was her defence. Kate then asks Jill when she first became aware of Corbett. Jill says when they first got files to choose a UCO is when she first found out about Corbett. Without saying anything else, Obsessed. Kate cautions Jill straight away. You do not have to say anything, but it will be an offence. We screamed, didn't we? Yeah. Jill just kind of smirks. She just has this kind of terrifying grin on her face and just goes, okay. Because she's the mobile there with her brand and she thought she was bulletproof. Yeah, she thought she was just going to She thought she was bulletproof. Yeah. Jill reaches... Jill reaches under the desk for a burner phone (laughs) and opens a pre-written message that reads urgent exit required. required. I Like she didn't even have to type it. It was a pre-written message. Do you remember them? It's like, ma'am, I'm not coming home. I I originally thought she'd press send. But she yeah. just had it up and ready and waiting. Oh, I was like, she my said, goodness. Do you mind if I'm just going to record this? Yeah, don't mind me. Don't mind me. They're the same words that Dot text, which launched his dramatic escape in season three. Steve reveals on their last visit to Steph Corbett, she gave them an audio recording of Jill and John Corbett from January 2018, which is a full month before the idea for Operation Pear Tree even existed. In the clip, Jill is heard telling John that Hastings was the RUC officer that betrayed his mother. She tells John that they're setting up an undercover operation to prove that Hastings is bent to finally bring down the man who had your mother killed. In the recording, you hear John say, it's definitely him, and Jill says, yeah. It takes Jill a few moments to decide if or not to send that urgent exit required message. She presses send. Can I ask? Yeah. So was Operation Pear Tree entirely fabricated it, to frame Hastings? Possible that it was, yeah. Yeah. So it does Alison Powell know that? I do. Mm, I think no. Alison start. What? What? But she obviously told Kate and uh, Steve that that Jill was the one who pushed for. I think she might have become suspicious in the middle of it. Maybe. Okay. Do you know what I mean? She might have thought Jill was a bit dodgy. So Jill was in Rohan's ear telling Rohan he needed to set up an investigation to investigate links between organised crime and anti-corruption. Yeah. I would imagine. So she, yeah, she, so she would have everything. orchestrated it. And yeah, maybe Alison Powell didn't, didn't know didn't it. Know. Yeah. Uh, she presses send. Ted just turns and goes, why Jill? Oh. She says, it's complicated. Yeah, that's the, like, I mean, tell me more. Carmichael says, we have time. Jill says, actually, you don't. No. Yeah. Right? In unison. The second Jill says that, Kate and Steve jump out of their chairs and aim their guns at the AFOs covering the glass box spectacular. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. It was so good. It was amazing. Steve jumps across the desk, finds Jill's burner phone with the sent message, urgent exit required. There's a standoff with the armed guys at the door, but they drop their guns. Kay tells Carmichael that they detected apparent security gaps entering the building. She says, all of your AFOs have been disarmed as a precaution. Now, this goes back to an asterisk from earlier. Yes. Carmichael makes a point near the start of the interview, saying that she, when Jill walks in unannounced, Carmichael says they are my guys on the door. So Carmichael earlier in the episode took ownership over the AFOs. She yeah. said that they were her people. Fake Kate uh, is, was like to Ted, oh, Carmichael uh, detected a security alert. So we've got, that's why there was no one there because they changed around the teams. So does so, this not reveal that Carmichael is dodgy? Or else dodgy, what's your one's name? Tina. 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 Maybe Tina. I don't know if maybe, yeah. yeah, if that was maybe orchestrated by Tina in Carmichael's ear who then... But no yeah. one came for Jill. No. No, so, because they'd so. already detected it. Ted asks Tina yeah. if Jill's burner phone is the same one that he's been accused of using. They ring it. It rings. Now explain this to me. So are they saying, how did Ted get accused of using that phone? Because, because it was Jill, active in his hotel room at the time he was Jill there. When Jill visited him in his hotel room. When she visited And when Jill, do you remember she used to just pop into his office? Yeah. She's like, oh, oh hi, love. Yeah. I understand. So, I mean, so her visits were to... And Moffat sitting down in reception waiting yeah. for him and all. Yeah, and it's he, all that, and he goes, it? he goes to Jill, you always visited me in AC12. Yeah. Ah. And so she, she was making sure that the triangulation of the phone was... I mean, yeah. a clever woman. She is clever a clever, enough. clever woman, yeah. Kate radios Kyle to ask if Jill's rescuers are on the way. He says there's no sign. Wouldn't be radioing Kyle now myself. <laughs> Ted informs Jill... That when Dot sent the same text message, he was busted out in seconds. Reminds her that she's not as valuable as she maybe thought she was. Such a good thing. Her lip that quivers a bit then, doesn't it? She starts quivering on the lip. She's she gets a bit emotional then. She knows she's a bit fecked. Because she, she's like, yeah, you're right. They should be here by yeah, now. Where are they? <laughs> Carmichael asks, valuable to who? Ted explains that he suspects Jill is on a retainer that has strings attached. Suspects she was enticed. This is a line from Ted. <laughs> I suspect she was enticed by the glamour. <laughs> Ted, you're not wrong. He's not wrong. Hair. It's I know. Gorgeous. Yeah, and her shirts. 
And they're that, not pennies. Did you see that nice Mac she'd on over the purple one as well? Stunning. I Gorgeous bet you they the boutons on her as well yeah. if you had a look underneath. Mm. Ted suspects that Jill was trying to offer him up as a rotten apple as AC12 was a thorn in the side of the OCG. Gorgeous imagery. Realises that Jill nicked his hair from his comb in the bathroom <laughs> of the dodgy with the toilet the wooden flush in the I hotel. I was thinking it was his him. wee fellas she was taking. I know. Um, Jill turns around and flat out just says I won't confess to conspiracy to murder because she wants four words I-M-U-N-I-T-Y Bring him back Carmichael asks about the institutionalised link between Ben Coppers and criminal gangs Jill turns down and goes Give that little laugh Have you not been listening love? Jill's about to get busted up for 25 years. Have you not been listening, love? (laughs) The way she delivers the lines. Have you not been listening, love? There's no such thing. I'm just one rotten apple. And a bit of a smirk. Ted asks Jill how she could let Corbett believe that Ted led his mother to be killed. A senseless death. Yeah, what did he say? You led the... Yeah, it was awful. It's really sad. Yeah, it is really, really sad. Kate radios Kyle again. Still no sign of Jill saviours. Kate says... Orders for Jill to be taken to custody. Tina says she'll arrange that. Mm. Bet she does. Carmichael arrests Jill for misconduct in a public office. Kate advises Ted to leave the building. So it just kind of seemed at this point that, like, was Ted just sort of Free. forgiven and forgotten? And yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, okay. It was very scary when they were like, we think it's okay for you to leave now, Ted, or we think the, co- the coast is clear. And I was like, that it is not chat, bloody that clear. Chat, Brendan. So mm. Tina tells Jill she'll have to cover but suggests she takes a loo break first Kate and Steve walk Ted and Carmichael to the lift Ted says he doesn't know how to thank them Steve says you're welcome Kate says just doing our job sir Ted says it's a damn sight more than that and the lift doors close there's an emotional look between them there's music I thought that one of the three of them that was it, to me it felt like that was a goodbye and that they what they may not have all seen each other again it yeah. felt very much like that you, you're saying goodbye but you don't know it and I, I thought someone was going to get I mean yeah yeah, I wouldn't have coped was get I thought that maybe Ted was going downstairs and there was and maybe someone Jill's lot were going to arrive and there was going to be a or, massive or Kyle was going yeah. to yeah yeah Anyway, from that emotional moment straight into Kate, I could, I could murder a copper, she yeah, says to that Steve. Was, that was <laughs> now. Would you not need a glass of wine The after lift that? doors had literally shut on Mince Ted. your words. Yeah, like. I could murder a copper. <laughs> Tina follows Jill into the toilet. Mate. Tina follows Jill into the toilet. When Jill comes out of the cubicle, Tina stabs her through the hand. No, that <laughs> looked... So And us painful. trying to eat the Chinese. And she takes her hand off the knife it's as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Jill like runs her towards the back wall. With so the she's hands putting again. pressure on. And it's the same as when they slit John Corbett's throat yeah. and Manit. This season was a bit graphic. It it just all was in front of you. It didn't cut away. You're no. like a little man, Brendan. You're not able for it. I'm not able for it. <laughs> While making a brew, Kate and Steve hear the commotion. Jill goes, help! <laughs> <laughs> Do it again! <laughs> She's, she also, on the toilet, she just keeps rubbing her hands through her hair. I was like, oh my God. And I think she might have gotten a dye job the done volume. as well. The blow dry. Oh, Amazing. She's but she's like, help! And then t- Kate's in the middle of putting the tea bag in the cup and she's running in. <laughs> So Kate and Steve drop their tea plans. They draw their guns, run into the toilet. Steve shoots Tina in the shoulder, freaks out for a minute. 
Yeah. Kate's like, you're right, mate. And he's like, I've never shot anyone. My favourite moment of the entire series of all six episodes (laughs) with Tina laid flat on her back on the bathroom floor blood pumping out of her gunshot wound just in the bottom right corner of the screen (laughs) like almost out of shot Jill reefs herself forward and flips her hair back off her face like she's in a Herbal Essences ad. Oh, like it was Britney Spears on a slave for you hair yeah. flip. It's like. honestly like something made a RuPaul's Drag Race. I watched it back so many times. It's my favourite moment. And I mean, probably very unintentional on all of their parts. Of yeah, we but do. It's yeah. my favourite moment of the entire series. <laughs> Jill is escorted to custody under a raggedy blanket over her shoulders. Tina is wheeled off to hospital. Kate and Steve interview Lisa McQueen again. She says they were not told that John Corbett was a UCO. They just sussed that he was a rat. Denies that Lee Banks told them anything about John. Lisa tells Kate and Steve that Miroslav killed Corbett. Oh, I loved that. Yeah. Because yeah. you were expecting her to uh, yeah. say it was Ryan. Maybe. I was like, oh, I don't you're know. still bad, aren't you? It was yeah. pretty cool. It was good. Um, they ask if there are any members of the OCG still at large. She says not that she knows of. Oh my God, sorry. Yeah, she could have said it was Ryan. Sorry. And stopped it all happening. Yeah. I just oh. realised that for the first time. Oh, she's a bad bitch. Yeah, yeah okay. she let Ryan go in. Mm. So, Guys. So just as she says, no, I don't know anyone that's still an active member of that group. Cut to a shot of Ryan, the bent <laughs> bastard, doing his final interview for police college. The new caddy. I, I really want him to just say again, you bad bastard. <laughs> I have Andrew Wise typed here. <laughs> Andrea Wise tells Carmichael. It's been a long night. <laughs> that she cannot prove. Andre, Andrea Wise tells Carmichael that she cannot prove that Hastings is H. Close your case. Carmichael's not happy. Um, Andrea reminds her that she had a bent officer on her own team and says, Glass houses. Yeah, like Love glass Your houses. Your wasn't even bent. She was going to kill Jill. She was like, like take was a day off, Carmichael. Like a murderer. Like. Yeah, high horses, glasses. Kate and Steve run back into the glass box spectacular. Review footage of Dot's dying declaration from the end of season three for the first time and how convenient. They notice that while Dot blinks on the letter H, he's also tapping his thumb off his forefinger four times. They deduce that he was using Morse code to tell them that there is four Dot's Four caddies, four police officers with links to organised crime. Dot, Hilton, Jill, plus one more, says Kate. And they're still out there, says Steve. That was like, I mean, I wasn't expecting it. Also, is, is Steve a clairvoyant? He just walked into that room. Like, there was nothing prompting him to walk in there. He was like, oh, I figured it out. Like, he ran in. He was like, zoom out. And as much as I love this, I seen someone tweet it and it was just like a hand holding up the number four. And it was like, could he not just, could he not have just pointed at himself and done that? So H was a clue rather than a person. Yes. Rohan and Wise stand on the steps of their offices and declare to the media that the findings couldn't be clearer. There is no institutionalised corruption in this police force. Rohan couldn't roll his eyes back far enough. He was absolutely disgusted at himself. Did you notice? Oh, yeah. He's like, I can't believe I have to go up here and talk with this shite now. Which brought us to the writing at the end, which all confirmed, summarised the lot, tied it up all in a nice bow, or did it. Pear Tree is officially closed. Kate got a commendation for Pear Tree. So did Steve. Lisa McQueen got four letters. Immunity. And she now works to educate young girls away from a life of crime. Or, or does, does she? <gasps> Ryan was accepted for training as a police officer. Jill was given a new identity. Her location is confidential. How? 
much did she look like Lindsay Denton when no. she got out of the car? Guys, I thought it was good because the hair obviously I we, it was she, her. we hadn't seen I thought, the curly blow dry. I was she trying to hair tied up in yeah. a low pony. Shit yeah. car. It's raggedy at the end. Turned around, I was like, Lindsay, Lindsay, Lindsay. Jill. Moffat. What car is that? Don't know. Ford Fiesta or something. Yeah, wasn't it looked it? great. Like the whole thing was a bit grim for him. Um, Moffat was done for bribery. Mm. At his trial, he claims the 50k in Ted's hotel was only the half of it. Next, we see this is the end a shot of Ted walking up to Steph Corbett, visiting John's grave with a brown envelope. A misconduct hearing found Ted guilty of discreditable conduct. Following a final written warning, Ted Hastings is still in charge of AC12. That final written warning is coming back to bite him in season six, isn't it? Yeah. Like that is is one more strike and you are And you're gone. gone. Yeah. Yeah, he's on his last chance. His last his last leg. Absolutely on his last leg. Now we got loads of thoughts uh, and theories in this week. Thank you so much, everyone, for all the emails. It's actually mental, isn't it? And the level of detail that people email in as well. I'm like, that's really lovely that people are taking the time in to send in amazing thoughts and theories. But it's I don't the intelligence. I am stupid. Oh, and then I we pick. get these things in. Um, you have a daddy one actually about Kyle. So Lewis Bryant emailed us in uh, and he has a theory about Kyle and one about Ryan, right? So he says, Kyle has been getting increasing amounts of camera time and dialogue over the series and he's also been at the very heart of a lot of mishaps he was the one who turned up with Ted's with Jill's interview and Ted sorry Brendan's reaching over for a veggie caterpillar for Marks and Spencer's and if I there's got, one thing we've learned we're not sponsored we like, by Annie we like veggie food oh yeah but sorry for Brendan it was like playing Operation he was trying to get it out without the rustle because it's so close to Rebecca's <laughs> mic I mean why did you bother that was literally Operation I'm if sorry. I've learned anything about myself during these few weeks during this podcast it's that I'm actually partial to a bit of veggie or vegan food I'm you're snacks. very welcome Brendan yeah. and you a staunch vegan <laughs> staunch vegan you a staunch sorry vegan. rep carry on right so um, Kyle was the one who turned up with Jill to Ted's interview on official business he was also skulking around the office the whole time in this episode um, he was out of his tack gear just chilling around giving dodgy looks tactical gear oh, wow. and then he suddenly disappears we definitely need to know what's going on with him why he was the one to escort Jill in fair enough that's true Really good point. And if he was responsible for the lapse in security when the AFOs all disappeared when Jill was in the building waiting for her urgent exit. He was also, he missed um, the place where Corbett escaped after a standoff with Steve and he also wasn't monitoring one door in the nightclub when Ted was apple bottom jeans in the club. Boots with And the he fur. was very quick to stand down in the Palisade shopping centre like thrilled yeah. um, to unarm everyone. And there's everyone. too many kind of hovering shots on him really, isn't there? Agreed. Um, Lewis then went on to say uh, that he was chatting about Ryan. So he was interested in Ryan. He goes, presuming Ryan will be higher up the pecking order when we next see him, who will be his OCG contact? Who will run him? Uh, Will he be like the caddy or will he be running someone else? I wouldn't be surprised if one of his first orders is to locate Jill and have her killed. Jed stopped the shot for way too long on her new house. Definitely we're going to get a visit there at some point and likely for a bad reason. Also, what unit will he be in? Him being an AC-12 would be a bit boring as we've seen it before. What if he goes into serious crime? That would make us, uh, sense as they will have the first remit to investigate the gang, uh, the crime gang. Um also, we could see the Sam Steve storyline take a bigger role with Ryan in her unit. There was also actually a hovering shot on Sam at the end when she arrests yes. Moffat. She's definitely coming back. There's yeah. also the Vice unit. They've talked about that a couple of times. That's like they deal with gambling and prostitution and mm. drugs. Um, and then right. there's AC3, their other units that we know of. 
Yeah. So that's Lewis's take on to Ryan and Kyle. We will be get, seeing more of them in the new series. Absolutely. Um, I've an email here from Alex Cox about PC Simon Banerjee. Oh, yeah. Um, Alex oh, says, yeah. yeah. Alex says, how does PC Simon Banerjee fit into the network of corrupt officers? At the end of the last episode, we see Ryan citing Banerjee as his reason for wanting to join the force. Ryan's statement is very similar to the answer Dot gives also in series one when Hilton asks him his motivations for becoming a police officer. Small detail, but this scene is directly before Banerjee delivers Ryan back to his home. A cheeky bit of foreshadowing, Sam suspects. Um, when Ryan takes the card from Banerjee, he smiles and lingers a little at the door. Young Ryan, you bent bastard, was nothing but hostile to the police, even when they were trying to help him. So is this a little bit out of character? What was written on the card? Was it only a number, perhaps a signal to let Ryan know that he was already involved with the OCG? Banerjee may have been the one who pushed Ryan up the ranks of the OCG, coaching him from a boy with the eventual aim of placing him inside the police force when he was old enough. Where is Banerjee now? I think in the next series, we will see Banerjee as a senior ranking officer pulling the strings with Ryan. Yes, Sam, that is not a bad shout. That is bang on. Can I just confirm, Banerjee is the guy from season one. And did he work with that other blonde officer? Is that who? uh, Remind me who he is. Full, can't fully remember. Did he but take Ryan for a burger? After Took Ryan for a burger mm. after the ball cutters uh, with Steve, no? In the warehouse with Tony Gates? Yeah. Jackie Laverty oh, was sorry, I can picture him now. Jackie Laverty was currently in the deep freeze in the corner of the warehouse. She deserves a BAFTA for her role in season five. Gina McKee, shout out. Um, I have two quick ones here. At the end of the Lewis Bryant email that you started from there, he's talking about who the fourth doc can be. Mm. Now, this is something that I completely agree with. He says that there isn't that many established characters left to make the last person. I think um, the older, more established the character, the harder hitting and more impactful it will be. Dot, 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 Nige. Now, I completely agree. There is no point in us going six seasons to have the last H be someone that they've just brought in, like Tina, who we couldn't give a shit about, or, do you know what I mean, Kyle, that we don't really... Like, it needs to be a Kate, a Steve, a Ted, a Nige, maybe at a push Carmichael. Or Sam. Or maybe at a um, Ross Huntley. Or Sam. Or Or Ross Ross Huntley. But this is his point. It has to be someone. So could we see Nigel Morton coming back? Please, God. Bob the Builder. Sorry, can we take oh, a moment great. to talk <clears throat> about this? No, I, I never, didn't know. No. I I found out. I can't believe this. I, yesterday, <laughs> I was at a football match and my friend Dara told me, or like just blase dropped it into conversation like Nigel Morton, Neil Morrissey, Bob the Builder. And I'm like, <laughs> excuse what? me. I definitely mentioned this in at least one of our previous podcasts. But and I knew when neither of you reacted that you didn't get it. I must have thought you weren't right. I <laughs> Well, I mean, standard. <laughs> Cried. I cannot believe Nigel Morton is Bob the Builder. He had a number one. You go to me, Rebecca. Who do you think he is? And I go, what was he like? I go to Rebecca earlier on. I have a surprise for you, but I'm, I'm, I might have to check it with someone because I feel like there's possibly I'm the last person to know. I'm like, do you know any like pivotal roles that Neil Marcy has had in his life? And she's like. I don't know, like, was he Mr. Blobby? And I'm like, no, it's better. And sorry, he had a number one. Was yeah. that Christmas number yes, one or am I dreaming? Yeah, I think it might have been I Christmas number been Christmas one. Yeah. Bob the Builder. Nigel Morton. Ben Coppers. Had Bob a Christmas <laughs> number one. <laughs> yes. Wow. Oh, he's come a long way. He has to come back. 
Uh, speaking of the fourth dot, a girl called Carolyn mailed us, right? And she said that they that she thinks the missing dot is the head of counterterrorism, Philip Osborne, all the way back from series one. She thinks it would link back beautifully that the big boss uh, where Steve began was also the final missing link. Does he have kind of a weird, scary face? And he was around a lot in season one and hasn't been back. Yeah, he kind of looks like... Um, He's walking around with Hilton <laughs> and stuff. He kind of looks like the constructor in um, Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> The fat controller. <laughs> but he's not fat. <laughs> I have to Google his face. Between Bob the Builder and the fat controller, like I we've know. the full Sorry, was, was, was Morton also in Thomas the Tank mm, Engine, do I you don't, think? Mm, I think it, he may have voiced a newer version of Thomas the Tank Engine. That's That's he has enough. had he an incredible career. Yeah, do you think he looks like the instructor? <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> he does. <laughs> Tell me. He does. We'll tweet out a picture. Sorry, of now I know exactly. Doesn't you're he kind of yeah. look like the instructor? Okay, um, I'm gonna look up. Okay, so the there was a lot of loose ends tied up at the end of the finale, but there was a lot of unanswered questions. Unanswered questions is right, Brendan. Obviously, the four, the first one is who is four rather than who is H. So yeah. who's the fourth caddy? Like who? Like like I mean, Carmichael, Kate, Ted are three of the obvious. Yeah, maybe Nigel Sam. Morton, Sam. Ross Thomas Huntley. the Tiger. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, just while we're on Kate there, my auntie texts me, right? Oh, yeah. Tell us. And she said, you know when Jill gets stabbed in the hand in the loo by Tina? Mm-hmm. She says Kate asked Jill if she's okay and it is like with such genuine concern. She goes, are you okay, Jill? She's like, are you okay, Jill? Are you all right? And it's co- she was like, that just sat weird with me. And I'm just putting it out there so we can claim, like we will with everything else, that we knew <laughs> if she turns out to be bent. Um, th- there's something to think about there. Yeah. yeah, like why was, this is one of the unanswered questions as well with Kate, why was she kind of given nothing to do all series and then she came back with an un- unbelievable line telling fake Kate to piss off. But other than that, she has been a bit absent. Here's a few more good ones. Who's Roisin Hastings' new guy? Yeah. Yeah. Who was that fellow we never found out? Why did Ted keep the 50k? Who ordered Tina's hit on Jill? Yeah. What's Lisa's backstory? Yes. Do Ted and Lisa know each other? Hi, Lisa. Remember. Why does Carmichael want Ted to be bent so badly? So badly. Would Jill become involved with the OCG? What's her backstory? I love this one. Would it not have just been easier for Dot to show four fingers? <laughs> oh, yeah, that was my favourite. And also, why did Jill want to frame Ted so badly? She said it's complicated. Why is it complicated? Somebody wants to know who does Jill's blow dries. Someone else asking, where is Simon Banerjee? Definitely coming back. How is little Steve? Yes, a few people actually wrote to us saying, how is little Steve? And will Gina McKee get a BAFTA for her role in season five? I think yes. I think yes as well. And if she and um, Ted don't both get them, we'll riot. Yeah. And then also, what's the crack with the laptop indefinitely? Yeah. Now, guys, however... What are your unanswered questions? Do you guys have any just before we move on? The things that are annoying me are what's on the laptop? Yeah. Yeah. That's also, my big issue. And did Ted and Lisa know each other? Jane. Remember, she was like, Dot recruited me. Like, what was the crack with that? Did he actually recruit her? He was dead. Jane Cafferty. Yeah. Jane, yeah, she's like, it was Dot. She pointed to that picture. And we Could never heard her no, no, but she did in that interview. It could be wrong. Did Jane said that she had been recruited a long time ago, like as in when Dot was alive. Oh, okay, maybe. I so Dot recruited that. her before he died. I also want to know why Ted kept the money. Oh yeah, and where he stored it? Where did he keep the money? And why was it? Yeah. If he had not have given it to Corbett's wife, what was he going to do with yeah. it? And why did why did Jill get witness protection? 
She's guys. 100% coming back. Surely she knows who the other dot is. Like, would they not have probed her to give up that information? Yeah, the only person bizarre. that was high enough to give her that immunity was Carmichael. So Carmichael's dodgy AF. Yeah, and she guys, there's is. no way Lisa is just sitting there in a school with a different identity telling oh, girls not no. to go into the crime gang. She's recruiting people for the sex She's ring. pushing yeah. from the outside. She was running right. a brothel. She's pushing from the inside. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, so true. That's exactly it. So there's loads of unanswered questions. We have got a few answers. There was an incredible article put on Digital Spy written by Morgan Jeffrey. It is an interview with Jed Mercurio and this is probably the best what Jed said we ever had because Jed's actually given us answers. Because Jed said a lot. Because Jed said, I didn't read this so I could just sit back and enjoy you telling us. Okay, what does the hate reveal mean? Okay, so basically there was never a hate. The whole concept was a misunderstanding. This is what Jed said. You have to consider what the origin of that term is. What I think is something that I think has been lost in a lot of the discussion about it. It isn't a code name. It's something that comes from DOT. The police started using this term because they believed that DOT was giving a specific clue that the person's name began with H. So the police used that. And Corbett, because he was aware of that, passed that information on and it became something that was part of the conversation within the OCG. But they were all barking up the wrong tree as it is revealed in the end. Uh, so basically we know that when Kate was questioning DOT, DOT and getting his dying declaration, she misunderstood what he was trying to communicate. Um, and this she? is what Jed said. He's trying to say something and when she reaches letter H, he blinks because he wants her to to know that it's to do with the letter H and he wants that to be in their minds, but he's not able to verbalise it. It's not a name, it's a clue. If she'd said that. Um, how many, if she said that, how many people are we looking for and started counting, then they would have gotten that number. But actually, she was desperate to get the name of one of the people and that's why Dot was forced to find uh, an ellip... El- I don't know what this elliptical. word is. Elliptical. Jesus. Wow, Jed's very smart. An elliptical way of saying that it's a multiplicity of people, um, hence the Morse code dot, 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 dot. Four dots. Four corrupt officers or senior ranking figures. So Kate's questions are stupid. He just said basically the whole, the whole H thing would Can you do that happened. for me, Ryan? Yeah, the whole... <laughs> can you do that for me? You love saying that. I do. The whole H thing, it's just that she was asking the wrong question or she didn't have time to ask anything about numbers it was just the you should probably ask yes or no questions to people that are dying yeah this is true yeah, I mean, get to the point mm. we've learned that we'll take that yeah true um, um so in this article then for digital spy jed was asked if tent is a bed co- if tent ted oh tent oh, ted. ted's <laughs> evil twin his fake age <laughs> it's him in tent. ac3 imagine if there was a tent in ac3 <laughs> A tent lastings. Um, so uh, uh, Jed, Jed is asked if Ted is a bent copper. Asked if Hastings could be the fourth dot. Mercurio refused to rule it out. So what about the explanations Ted offered for some of his suspicious behaviour? Ted's explanation for his misspelling of definitely that he studied messages um, is a plausible defence, according to Jed, because we haven't witnessed it. It's something we're relying on the audience to make their, up their own mind on. Likewise, Ted's reasoning for disposing of the laptop that he'd been viewing porn uh, could also be the truth. He gave an explanation again, which is plausible. It's uh, in the important point, Mercurio says. With the chat software, we glimpsed on Hastings' laptop potentially being used for illicit, but not criminal means. He does add, though, that the possibility that Ted was lying on both points is something that, going forward, may, we may want to explore. See, so, I love that Jed's just like, right, I won't... Uh, yeah, I could go any direction yeah, with this. <laughs> what I'm so. taking from that is Jed hasn't written the next season. Um, I have a really good one to read out. Did Ted give 
John Corbett up to the OCG? Shockingly, the answer is yes, he did. He did. Oh my God, I haven't read this yet. What the hell? Lisa was able to establish that John was a rat after pretending to set up a meeting with H. Only she and Corbett knew about the stage meeting. So when the police arrived on the scene, Lisa knew John was informing. Oh my God, guys. She can't admit to, um, this to the police because it would mean admitting involvement in John's death and so forfeiting her immunity and witness immunity. protection. Immunity. Immunity. The original tip-off, though, came out of Blackthorn Prison and Mercurio told Digital Spy that Hastings did inform on Corbett. What? But not for the reasons you might think. I can't get through this. <laughs> what? Hastings went to visit Lee Banks and the fact that he did circumstantially does suggest that he revealed something to Lee Banks which could have been used to identify Corbett as some kind of informant, he explains. I think that was pretty clearly established, okay, um, without exactly seeing those words come out of his mouth. I think it's pretty clear that's what he did do. But while Ted definitely did wrong here, he wasn't looking for revenge over John's attack on his wife or intentionally serving John up to be killed. Okay, so he was informing on him, but it was an accident that he was killed. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can live with that. Um, I think that what you have to look at is what Hastings said in his interview, Mercurio says. When he was asked how he thought Corbett would respond to having his cover blown, Hastings said that he would consider his position and take refuge within the nearest police station so that suggests that Hastings was in following some kind of plan which was not to kill Corbett but to bring him in so he could then assist the police inquiry oh okay yeah. okay so it, it yeah I it's, get it it's, he did a bad thing but he was trying to do the right for the right reasons but he thought that yeah. it would end differently okay um, another question that was answered was did Ted plan to pocket the 50 thousand pounds um so we saw in the closing scenes obviously that he gave the money to steph corbett who is john's wife um and mercurio says that ted used multiple hiding places for the cash which is why the police didn't recover it at all he realized the money was hot and he was endeavoring to return it but he was also aware that he was leaving money in a vulnerable position in that hotel room so we didn't see where he put the other 50k but he must have put it somewhere else another hiding place and that money was then something he could use for his personal gain but he chose to use it as a form of atonement. So basically, Ted gave the 50k to Steph out of guilt because he was somewhat responsible, not intentionally, for her husband's death. Yeah. Makes so much sense. Um, was Ted actually John Corbett's dad? No, Mercurio says. If you look at the ages, it's physically not possible. Ted's emotional reaction on learning that John was Anne-Marie's son, though, is down to the fact that Ted did have an intimate relationship with Anne-Marie. <gasps> oh my God, guys. He did have, what did you say the affair was? Um, was it a meaningful no it's not a meaningful affair I said um, reasonable forgivable forgive uh, 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 oh, I, I can't remember, remember. Well, a non-exclusive right. relationship with the truth is I'm that what basically. Ted had um, he, uh, Mercurio said that Ted is genuinely devastated by the tragedy though and that it's implied that he must have had a hand in it although Ted was Amory's police contact when he uh, she became a police informant um he was not the one who outed her as an informant. Uh, that was a lie that Jill told Corbett to recruit him as part of her efforts to frame Hastings as H. Did Ted call Lisa McQueen? So in the first episode of the fifth series, we see Lisa ignoring a call on her mobile and it cuts to Ted hanging up his own phone. However, this was just a misdirection and Mercurio confirmed Ted was actually calling his wife. Ted had to surrender his devices and there were no calls from the device to a member of the OCG. 
Oh, uh, what was Lisa McQueen's deal? So a lot of people thought she was an undercover officer. However, Jed says that she was just a criminal with a conscience. She was becoming increasingly distressed by the work of the OCG. That's why at the end we reveal that she's working with young people to keep them out of trouble because she regrets the life that she had and the crimes she participated in. Um, also, we see that Lisa doesn't reveal that Ryan is now a mole going into the police force, but only out of fear, Jed says. Um Lisa still fears the OCG reaching out to her if she's just visiting schools and youth clubs um, saying don't get involved with crime then there's no real threat to the OCG uh, but as per her dialogue to Corbett she knows that even though Tommy Hunter had witness protection and immunity the OCG reached out and executed him so she's well aware that the information she passes on has to be relatively harmless I don't want to believe that I want to believe that she is now on the inside and still a bad bitch and that Ryan is going to be the police officer and that she's working on some educational side of it and that together that's way more fun television no well he could write that back in that's yeah. the great thing about the ambiguity off the scent yeah, yeah. Um, is Ryan the new caddy it's an arc which mirrors Doc Cotton's and also that of police officers in the real world who come from certain backgrounds with OCG connections they're encouraged to become police officers and serve the needs of organised crime from that position it's something we know was Doc Cotton's story we're just presenting it as also being Ryan's story how we go forward is something we haven't planned Mercurio says mm. um we were always very careful that he never was connected to any of the crimes by any evidence. Even though he is a sociopathic murderer, he killed Corbett and he killed Manit. Uh, he's not in any way suspected of those offences. Also, he had the mentorship of a police officer, which we saw right at the end of series one. Who was the man in the cap going into the house where the OCG runs the sex trafficking ring? I saw this popping up again and again on Twitter. So remember when conducting surveillance on Lisa McQueen, AC12 captured an image of a man in a cap. Listen to this. This is so interesting. So we were meant to suspect Ted, but the man was in fact late Lester Hargreaves. Mercurio confirms. However... The image we saw on the screen was actually a composite of the two actors. Amazing. So Pitts and Adrian Dunbar. It's elements of the actor playing Hargreaves and it's elements of Adrian Dunbar VFX to create a composite. Mercurio um, explains when then tested the composite on each other to see if people believed it was one or the other or the third person. People generally believed it was a third person. It's important that the image was ambiguous. So that just confirms that's the way Mercurio writes. He likes to keep things ambiguous. So it was both of them, but it's meant to be Hargreaves. Amazing. Wow. Guys. So Jed said a lot of good stuff in his interview with Morgan Jeffrey and Digital Spy. Yeah. Amazing. And that went up right after the final. That was an incredible interview, guys. I have a question for you. Yeah. Come on. Shoot. Season six. Let's talk about it. Who would you love to see? Give me three, each of you, okay? Think for a little second. Three like ideal guest stars so we've had season one Tony Gates played by Lenny James Mm -hmm. we had Lindsay Denton played by Keely Hawes we had Tandy Newton playing Roz Huntley we had Stephen Graham playing John Corbett am I forgetting someone we had Danny Waldron in season three yeah of all of those who would you love to see in season six? The reason I'm asking you this is because I heard an interview with Adrian Dunbar and he was asked the same question and he said he would love either Hugh Grant. <laughs> can Does you, he have the range? Um, does he have the range? Have you seen Paddington too? Oh, actually, yeah, sorry. I bawled my eyes out of that. Fair. <laughs> or Sean Bean because they're mates and he'd be a bit cracking. <laughs> <laughs> um, we also asked Twitter, so I'm going to give you guys a little minute to okay. think. And I'll read out some of the 92 replies we had on Twitter. Um, uh, Degan DeVita said, Olivia Coleman. Amazing. Imagine. Um, 
someone said a crossover, not someone, oh, well, I actually can't pronounce that name. So yeah, someone said a crossover between AC12 and Luther will be my dream. So presuming they mean Idris. Um, Richard Madden, Brenton. That would push you over the edge <laughs> it altogether. Would. It would. Ben Kingsley, um, Andrew Scott. Oh, over the edge. I'm gone. I'm Neil. <laughs> and right under that, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Shout out to Fleabag. Killian Murphy would be fab. Oh, Neil Morrissey. Would. Please let him make a return. Peter Capaldi. That would be so good. Um, Robbie Coltrane. Let me see Gillian Anderson, Kathy Burke. I've Gillian got a few. Anderson would be great. She would. I've seen a few Tom Hardys. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Aidan yeah. Gillen. Ooh, yeah. Wow, yeah, I wouldn't mind another Irish bumped actor in, in him there. him at the pub the other day. Did you? I say bumped in like I was talking to him. I saw him in the pub the you other day. You bumped in? You saw yeah. Aidan Gillen in the pub? Aren't everyone cool. knows everyone in Ireland. Yeah, true. Um, also, what uh, Tom Lawn. Tom. Thank you. That's the name I wrote down Tom when Von you asked Lawler. the question. Yeah. There's a series in Ireland that was on RTE a couple of years ago and it's called Love Hate and it's about um, gangs in Dublin. It's incredible. Um, it's absolutely Brilliant. amazing. And he played one of the baddies well one of the main baddie yeah. basically and Nidge in the series so I think he would be amazing in Line of Duty um, I think just when you asked there off the top of my head the one that came to my mind straight away was Sarah Lancashire like she'd yeah. just slip in wouldn't she uh, like ha- like Happy Valley is incredible tell- she's phenomenal in that I would love so her. I think Jamie Dornan Saran Ooh. Jones Saran Jones oh my god yes. Saran Jones and Barry Keoghan who is an Irish actor who was in Dunkirk and Love Hate and what The Killing of the Sacred Deer yeah that's an amazing Black 47 James. he is an absolutely phenomenal actor and I think that he would be an amazing gang member in Line of Duty Charlie Murphy would be great as well. She was also in, um, with Sarah Lancashire, in Happy Valley. Yeah. And she was in Love Hate as well, actually. Yeah. Yeah, she was in Love Hate. Yeah. I have Robert Carlyle down as mine. I think he would be amazing. Yeah. And the other thing Adrian Dunbar said in that interview is he'd love to see an American, which I think is a really cool concept (gasps) and something that they could do. Yeah. Because Bodyguard went huge globally. On Netflix. On Netflix. I can see this coming onto Netflix and going huge globally and then maybe the BBC making the decision to branch out and get someone in outside of the UK and Ireland maybe. Okay, so what American actor? Is there anyone that you can think of? You need someone super gritty. Who is American? (laughs) Uh, yeah, see, I watch a lot of British dramas. So do I. I'm kind of nearly but 100% British like, procedural. You would need gritty American, not polished American. No, a lot of people say Killian Murphy as well, actually, on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. They Be say Killian Murphy. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah, he would be absolutely amazing. Um, the Queen movie, <gasps> Rami, Rami Malek. Malek. Yes, and he's going to be the villain in the next Bond movie. Also, I think, um, Mahershala Ali. Oh my god, yeah, but they definitely can't afford Marshall Ally. No, he's won Oscars. He's in True Detective and I just watched that, so I'm like, he was great. Like Woody Harrelson, Matthew McConaughey. True Detective. Um, your favourite moments from season five? Even if it's the most random thing. Oh, I need a little second. <laughs> okay, well, I'll give you two of mine. Yeah, to give you a second. So, two of like, like, they have nothing to do with any storyline or anything. <laughs> two of my favourite moments are. Uh, Vihan running for the bottle of yeah, water. Yeah, that's my favourite moment. Of like, absolutely, like, top favourite moment. Comical. And so that was in episode one, wasn't it? Yeah. And in, so I'll bookend it, episode one and episode six, uh, in the bathroom when Tina was on the floor, blood pumping out of her on death's door <laughs> and Jill just did her, like, 
pulled herself up off the bathroom tiles, flicked her hair back off her face and kind of steadied herself. They were my two standout moments from the entire Series 6. A series that so many people work so hard on <laughs> yeah, with dialogue yeah. and cinematography <laughs> and then I just picked those two random parts. Mine was, obviously, it didn't float up the lagging on a bubble. Yeah. That was amazing. I squealed when he said that. Um, that and Kate saying, stop making a titty yourself and piss off. Yeah. Um, and what else really funny happened? Oh, there was a scene of Steve and John meeting up in the laneway and John just starts jogging away in the middle of it and I laughed my head off at that. That <laughs> yeah, was in like episode really, three, really maybe. Yeah. I think my favourite moments are probably around the di- the dialogue. It's Kate telling your one to piss off. It's all of Jill's lines. Jill's... Oh. Like, just not giving up, trying to get Hastings to retire. At Um, her age was great. At your age was amazing. And then, yeah, Brendan, I have to rob yours. The hair flick at the end, I actually cried tears. It was so funny. And it was definitely by accident. Yeah, Definitely. definitely by accident. And Andrea Wise veering towards muffins was another... Amazing. Yeah. I also think Rashenda Sandal as Lisa McQueen, I thought she was absolutely phenomenal. And Stephen Graham, I mean, a performance of a lifetime. Everything he does is Rashenda's just... looks. Oh, the, she the spoke a hundred words in a look. Smizing. Stephen Graham on the phone to see if pretending it was his uh, bit on the side. <laughs> He's like, oh, she's always like, looking for me. What are you wearing? Seems like, all right. And Ted, Ted's twitchy eye in the final interview scene as well. Yes, and also Jane pointing at that picture at the end of the that episode. Jane Crafty's husband letting everyone into the house. Oh, and Lisa dressed up as a nurse, like uh, like a scene out of The Dark Knight. Yeah, he'd led her as the Joker. Oh, guys, it was so good. What are we going to do? Also, and just the crack that we've had on the BBC Me Boxers. Three of us on the late late. Sorry, Rebecca was on BBC Berkshire. Berkshire On I can't pronounce it Berkshire. (laughs) Berkshire, no? Berkshire, Berkshire, yeah. yeah. I mean, the glamour. Oh, they gave me a ring yesterday in the bank holiday Monday. I yeah. said, no problem, love. I'm just oh, at home God. making a few muffins. We went on the late, late. I yeah. got a kiss on the cheek off Adrian Dunbar. We all got AC12 mugs. We got Hannah's AC12 mom. mugs. And I have to say, the best part of it is, obviously, I love you both so much, but also... The line of duty fans that have gotten in touch with us and all of the funny memes and all of the amazing, like, yeah. you know, bingos people have made. Like, it has been the crack. Line of duty fans are absolutely lit. The best. The best. Like, the best. I don't know what we're going to do now. I, I feel know. like we're all best friends. Like, I could just talk to anyone about it. Like, it's the same sense of humour. You just get it, don't yeah. you? Like, Yeah. Like, what are we going to talk about? Well, I mean... Also, what is everyone going to be watching? Mm. Yes. What are we going to watch next? I don't know. But we would love to know what TV shows you are going to watch next. Uh, let us know on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just search for Shrine of Judy. You can email us as well, shrineofjudy at gmail.com. Right now, though, I think an urgent exit is required. <laughs> that's no. it for Series 5 of Line of Duty. And that's it from Shrine of Duty. Stop making a titter yourself and piss off. Until- <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> My God, who are you, Jill Bigelow? Until we talk again. Dot, dot, dot. Dot. Shrine of Duty. There's only one thing I'm interested in. One thing only. And that's bent covers. Shrine of Duty. The official, unofficial podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.